Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here. You're listening to Theater and College Hoops. I'm Subi. Alongside me today is Taylor Dammel. We're brought to you by Dash Radio's Nothing But Net channel and, of course, the Barn Burner Podcast Network. Go subscribe on whichever device you use. This episode of Feet is also brought to you by Beach House Soaps. No matter where you live, bring a little bit of the beach to your home with Beach House's all-natural soaps. Be sure to find them at beachhousesoaps.com. Versatile soap. I know it's Beach Houses. We, 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 it's synonymous with summer but we're entering the fall here. We'll get we'll get your thoughts on that. Uh, it's a lovely time of year, that fall crisp in the air. Maybe not for you in Scottsdale, but majority of the country, yes, uh, it, it, the fall is approaching. But you know what? Beach House Soaps, continue to purchase, continue to use all year round. Your college hooper of the week this week is Landon Lucas, former big man from the University of Kansas by way of Portland. Very odd recruiting there. Do you remember Landon Lucas? How the hell did Kansas land someone from the Pacific Northwest? Or why? I should say this. Why would someone from the Pacific Northwest go to Kansas, I suppose? Well, it's not like there are that many great basketball schools within a thousand miles of the Pacific Northwest, at least when Landon Lucas was in college, you know, I mean, Gonzaga hadn't quite hit the recruiting stride that they're on now. Oregon was really nothing. Washington can't do anything well. Uh, so I guess you'd go down to UCLA, Arizona, or Kansas, and Kansas isn't that much further than, than, you know, the Southern or Southwest United States, I guess. I'd like to know a list of the Pacific Northwest guys that have played for, for rock chalk, but Landon Lucas, that's your college hooper of the week. A little bit of a force inside, like a mini Thomas Robinson. Wasn't as, wasn't as strong or didn't lead him to a title game, but Landon Lucas college hooper of the week. Check out the website at the barnburner.com. That's the dash barnburner.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CBB theater. You should also follow me at Subi232 to find out where the feet is and make sure to follow Taylor at Taylor Dammel and the shark at the underscore shark underscore BB. Let's open the curtains. Taylor, good to have you back. Four days until the college basketball season is upon us. It's back in our lives. But like I said in the intro, we've entered fall. How was your summer? A little bit of a recap. Anything Anything big happen? I mean, are you looking forward to this fall foliage here? 
Well, I do want to go back one second and say that I did just wash my hands with some beach house uh, soaps, uh, foaming uh, soap that I have in the bathroom there. I have the rose uh, scent in the bathroom. Just delightful. Um, summer's been great. Uh, actually, we've got a ton of rain here in Phoenix over the last three or four months. Uh, so that's made it a little more tolerable than normal. Everything's pretty green here. Uh, we don't really get a lot of colors anywhere. Uh, that's for sure. But uh, it was funny. I went to Alaska twice over the summer, uh, one time in July and one time in August. And uh, it's amazing how quickly fall hits there. Um, it's There's really no warning. You know, like for you from Boston, in the Northeast is kind of known for its fall or autumn colors, right? You, you kind of get this gradual, like leaf by leaf, couple months of it. Alaska goes, hey, motherfuckers, it's winter pretty much right away. So uh, it's amazing how quickly that changed. Uh, base, watching baseball has been actually a little more entertaining than anticipated this summer, too. Sox are, are in the race here. And uh, I guess it's just nice to have, uh, you know, obviously football back with, with uh, um, you know, fans in the stands as well. Speaking of fall, uh, despite our team's failures this last week. Uh, but. But yeah, man, tell me more about uh, about your last few months here. It's been good. It's been good. I am ready to enter the fall, though, because I think last year we had a little bit of a taste, as you had mentioned, with sports coming back, but we weren't at capacity in terms of stands. And I think that's what I'm most excited for, specifically for college basketball. We are going to rip the top off, baby. I mean, you're talking about all these great stadiums where we weren't able to have full capacity last year. That's going to be different now. We've gotten a taste of it also with, with baseball coming back and obviously the NFL with full stadiums. So that's terrific. We'll see it again now with the NBA. Uh, all good things. The last couple of months have been great. I'm actually heading down to Georgia, though. Uh, today for a wedding. I mean, I'm, the wedding's in Dallanaga, Georgia, flying into the A, but going to the D. Uh, Dallanaga, Georgia, which I think is like the foothills of the Appalachian Trail or the Appalachian Mountains. Now, look, I'm not a Southern guy. I don't know jack shit about Georgia, but it looks very interesting and very uh, uh, foresty, I suppose. I'm going to try and get some steps in, get a hike in. So we can potentially cut this out, but my mom is in Atlanta right now. If you want to say hi to her and she'll be there for the next 10 days. So, uh, and, and a friend of the program, John Wilkinson was also just in Atlanta, two people who have never been to Atlanta before and they, and you're going now too. So I guess it's the place to be here this fall. I do want to ask you a question though, that is, I think very near and dear to your heart, uh, both by proximity and actually the feeling of it is, uh, is there any piece of clothing that you enjoy more than a vest in the fall? Cause you're a big vest guy, huge vest guy, because I'll tell you why, because it hides my love handles. Um, so you put on a nice sweater or, or, or a uh, quarter zipper, you know, just, it just put on a crew neck. Right. But the vest, what it does, and this is a black vest for all my beefy guys out there, put on a black vest and the love handles just disappear and maybe some dark wash jeans and you got yourself a fall outfit. It might be very basic. I can appreciate that, but I'm very much looking forward to, to, to vest weather. We're not there just yet, by the way, it's still kind of hot here in Chicago. I think it's going to be hot down in Georgia, maybe some rain. So it's not necessarily fall weather just yet. It's not, it's not vest weather just yet, but I am kind of. I'm trying to force that. I really am trying to force that, uh, that, that type of, you know, outfit because I'm antsy. I'm done with, I am done with summer. Like, are you, are you a guy that prescribes to you no know, this exact date, which I think is like September 22nd 
is when fall starts or are you like, okay, September's here. It's fucking fall. Well, no, because I kind of what I alluded to earlier is the exact opposite place of where I live now. I've never really had fall or spring, really. Mostly not fall, though, because Arizona, it's summer until like October 15th, you know, or 30th or however you want to phrase that. And then like winter's not kind of fall for everywhere else. So, uh, you know, it's this part of the year, I think, is actually kind of annoying in Arizona. I don't hate summer. I do not hate the heat at all. I actually really enjoy the heat. And, you know, the spring is great because before the rest of the country, even the snow even melts, we're already at 80 golfing and, and I'm, you know, I'm like, yeah, guys, we're here. You know, I, you guys are still freezing. But then this time of year comes and we're still like, fuck, we're still sweating our ass off here. And it's starting to cool down everywhere else. So I, I guess everywhere has everywhere you can complain about the weather. But uh, yeah, here, I think I think the fall is the most uh, disappointing part of the year because you're just for Arizonans because you're just like waiting. Like, can we just can we just be done with the hundred plus degree days? Not that each individual day is bad by any means, but you're like, can we just maybe maybe a long sleeve tee I'd like to wear at some point? You know, not even a vest. So, uh, I definitely not someone who subscribes to the specific date. That's that's for sure. Chicago, Chicago, you might be able to kind of do that though. They follow seasons pretty 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 closely there in terms of when they should actually fall right and i think that's why i brought it up because i saw someone from chicago say that like guys don't punt on summer just yet i think you shouldn't punt on summer in the august in in august i think a lot of people they think about back to school now a lot of our listeners aren't in school or anything like that but august you're like okay back to school means summer is over don't punt on august september though I, i'm ready to punt everything else is pretty much in the swing of things of the fall, right? The the home stretch for the baseball regular season, football's back. So I think I'm ready to embrace fall and I'm ready to embrace college basketball, TD, because like I said, 54 days away, which it's going to come up pretty quick. It's going to come up pretty quick. And usually what we've been doing over this past off season is trying to get as many interviews as we can. But the past couple of weeks, we've actually had a decent amount of news trickle in, starting with, I think, the most noteworthy, Mark Few. Mark Few over at Gonzaga got a DUI. First and foremost, Few straight up lied to the cop about drinking, and he argued whether or not uh, the field sobriety test was objective. Let's start there. And I'm going to actually read a a little bit from the article. So uh, the cop basically said, quote, Mark told me he had spent the day with his family. I asked him how much he had to drink today, and Mark told me nothing. Uh, I did not believe Mark. I, I did not believe that Mark was being truthful but based on my previously stated observations. Uh, Officer Matthew Lovinger is quoted as saying in the document that details his interactions with few during a traffic traffic stop on Monday night. Uh, so I think the only thing that we can really determine here, Taylor, is that Tommy Lloyd was the linchpin uh, of that program. And I guess, you know, this might be in poor taste, but he was the man that stirred the drink. He was the straw that stirred the drink. Bad pun. But in, in actuality, Taylor, uh, what are your thoughts on this few this few debacle? I mean, it's obviously not good. Um, and I hate to sound insensitive in, in saying that, you know, it's not, it's not like a program changing yeah, situation. It doesn't change who Mark Few is. I don't, you know, I, I guess you could kind of look at him in a worse light, but it, it's not like he's ever done anything ever at all that would give an indication that this is a normal thing that he does. Um, I will say that the, just like we, what you brought up, the 
the lying to the cop thing is kind of a little interesting uh, tidbit of this because it's not you're going to be proven wrong within 10 minutes. Like there's there's no real reason to lie in that situation. I think it's one of those almost like kill him with kindness things. If you're ever in that situation, just be like, yo, listen, you know who I am. I'm Mark Few like this hands up. This is on me. You know, and I'm not saying he should get away with it by any means. That's not what I'm trying to say. But lying to the police is never going to get you anywhere positively, no matter who you are. So that I thought was really interesting. Um, knowing a lot about Spokane as I have a number of family members there have been to Spokane 50 times there this summer, Coeur d'Alene, uh, Lake Coeur d'Alene where Mark Few was at is, is, you know, it's 20 minutes from Spokane. It's where everybody in Spokane goes in the summer, uh, you know, to go. So I, 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 go ahead. I do think, no, just real quick clarifying point. I do think it is worth noting he was in Coeur d'Alene. Now, geographically, that's not very, that's not very far away from Spokane, but it's not like he was in Spokane or, or like close to the, to the campus or anything. Right. Well, right. But you know, I, I, I bet you a hundred percent. I know what happened. He was just on the lake with his family and had, eight, 12 beers or whatever. And then said, yeah, we'll just roll home or whatever, which unfortunately is what happens in like every lake community in the country, essentially. Um, so yeah, I mean, I bet you there were, you know, that weekend traffic was just ass packed out to Coeur d'Alene on I-90 and then coming back uh, to Spokane uh, that Monday night, which is, yeah, about a half, 20 minute, half an hour uh, trip is all. I'm kind of surprised that Mark Few doesn't have a place on the lake in Coeur d'Alene uh, because, he that just like every person that's well to do in Spokane, they have a place on Coeur d'Alene. So I'm kind of surprised that he doesn't have a place out there. Um, and I also am kind of surprised to just like when any celebrity or uh, wealthy person of any kind gets into these situations, it's always like there was no other option for you here or, or, or what? Um, so I, I don't know what Mark Few's tolerance level for alcohol is by any means. I mean, he is the head coach of a Catholic uh, a basketball program there. So I don't, I don't know if Mark Few can crush Coors Lights on a, on an afternoon and be fine or not, but um, yeah, I don't know. I guess maybe, maybe he thought he was okay. I, I don't know. You know, this is all stuff we could, uh, you know, we could hypothetical this to death, but I think the overarching point of this is I think the only, the only real concerning part to me, other than the fact that it did happen and it's not a good thing by any means is why he had tried to tell the cops that he hadn't been drinking. Cause obviously you're going to, like I said, to, not to beat a dead horse here, but you're going to get proven wrong within, not within hours or days or week, you're going to get proven wrong within minutes. So there's really no reason to lie there. I think that's what jumped out to me when reading the article as well. And here's the thing as a guy who is, is not white, but has many white friends. I know a lot of white people that when they, they have red face, right? Like, in normal settings, you some people have a very red face. And then when you get drunk, you probably have like the yellow eyes and a red face. Mark Few, look at him in any game, any game, which I mean, he, I think he may play about three or four stressful games each season when he's going up against the bums of the WAC or the WCC. He's got a, a relatively red face, right? He's got the yellow eyes. Get a little alcohol in him. There's no point in trying to lie to the cop. So I'm sure that's what the cop was looking at. He's like, all right, this guy's face is completely red. Uh, that was probably the, the telltale sign, number one. Number two, cop did say that he smelled uh, some alcohol coming from the car, which, I mean, you can't hide. Uh, and it, it was also noted that 
he provided samples at the scene of blowing a 0.119 or one or 0.120, which is above the legal limit of 0.08. I guess my question, Taylor, is how is the media going to treat Mark Few? The reason I bring that up is because in college basketball specifically, you see it in other sports, but I think more so than any other sport, college basketball, media members target certain coaches and they pile on them no matter what they do. And a, a lot of the times it can be justified. You think of a guy like Rick Pitino, he's, he's committed errors a bunch of times. Now, some people, he's like a cult hero. I love Rick Pitino. Some people love Rick Pitino. He brought national champions championship to, to, to Louisville. But there's a lot of coaches out there that I feel like are are vilified for very minor offenses. And then you got guys that are completely exempt from any sort of criticism. First one I think of is Bill Self. Now, the guy's a Hall of Famer. He wins games. But there have been some incriminating texts uh, involving Bill Self. But they're this guy's treated with the white glove treatment. I think Mark Few is that guy as well. I think personally, when you look at some of the uh, – errors or the the crimes i guess that some coaches have made it's always in the best interest you would think of the kid or the team right i'm trying to get this recruit i'm going to pay him money if you really at the crux of of the argument yeah it might be cheating it might be illegal but what true harm is done when you're saying hey i'm going to give you this family uh a house i'm going to give this family some money versus a guy like Mark Fee who, who, who endangered the lives of other people. And I, I might be a little bit, might be going a little too far with this, but you, you see what I'm saying, Taylor, when we look at some college coaches and media members saying this guy's bad, rub your snout in it versus what Mark Few did. I don't think I've heard much about this. Uh, and I don't think I've heard many people criticize or critique Mark Few for this when this was a, a complete failure in judgment. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think we're gonna hear much of this uh, past past this. Really, I think I think we'll hear about it a little bit because obviously it's like perfect fodder for uh, uh, opposing student sections and stuff like that to to make you know. I'm sure they'll give Mark View a hard time during games, especially when they go to like St. Mary's or you know any of those type of places. But we won't. I don't think we'll hear more about this. And I, I guess I, I don't think he really should be vilified or anything because of it obviously we it's not it's not a good thing nobody nobody should stand up and say like hey it's okay mark you know like that's not what i'm trying to say but i think this is such has become or is such a common thing uh, unfortunately that um reporters can't go ahead and it, it would almost be hypocritical because every there are so many people that have been in this situation to be very hypocritical for reporters or whoever to be like, Oh, I can't believe Mark Few did this when there's a probably a 10 to 20% likelihood that that reporter has been in this exact situation himself or herself. So that's, what's going to be tough about it. Um, and you know, if he had shown, like you, you said, Rick Pitino, so we're obviously way like Rick Pitino is the opposite end of the spectrum than Mark Few. Right. So if Mark Few had a bunch of hookers in the back of his car, like Rick Pitino would have in this situation, then yeah, maybe we go ahead and have a further discussion about it. Or if this is a, something that becomes common or, you know, a, a multiple offense or anything like that. But um, I, I don't think we'll hear much more about it after this. Um, I guess the other thing and not to, not to switch uh, points here real quick. The other thing that, that point 
or that stuck out stuck out to me about this report was that few wasn't arrested. And I thought that was, I don't know the laws of Washington nor Idaho when it comes to this. Um, but I thought it was kind of strange that they took him to the hospital, which happens. You get your, your blood alcohol there uh, or, you know, tested there in some locations, but then they cops would just let him go home with a friend. I thought that was a little bit, kind of strange i don't I, again i don't i'd have to look deeper into like the dui laws of these states but i thought it was kind of weird was like yeah just have your boys come pick you up i i thought that was a little strange yeah and, and to go back to the point about how people are going to treat him and i agree that was a little strange but at the, at the end of the day a lot of people listening to this are going to say well why are you guys belaboring this this is not really really that big of a deal i tend to agree with you now uh, DUI, it, you can't do it. Poor judgment. It is a big deal. But the fallout in terms of people who are going to pile on Mark Few, I mean, he's not going to get fired. This is probably his first ever uh, egregious offense, I guess, in as long of a tenure as he ha- has had at Gonzaga. He's built a terrific winner. His kids are great. Uh, you know, all, you can't say enough great things about Mark Few and what he's built at Gonzaga. So I guess my point, though, is if we're not going to belabor on this, if we're not going to pile on Mark Few, if we're not going to extend the conversation for weeks on end, for months, I think we should be applying that to other coaches that maybe get in 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 trouble for allegedly, you know, paying players. I I, I swear to God, Will Wade is still somehow like on the crucible. Like he's 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 on the cross somehow. Will Wade will never clear his name. For, for some reason, and nothing's been really proven. He hasn't been fired, right? There's other coaches out there that they just have this, this scarlet letter on them forever. And I'm like, we should be applying for the most part, unless it's, again, egregious. Actually, remember Larry Eustachy? Does that name ring a bell at Iowa State? That guy, yes. he was like partying with students, getting drunk. That was weird, and that's bad, and he got fired immediately, obviously. There's a certain level or tier, I suppose, and I genuinely feel like Mark Few uh, should be treated the same, and, and these other guys should be treated the same. Just like, move the hell on. To quote my guy Kendrick Perkins, carry the hell on. I mean, it's 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 over. So I'm searching on Twitter. Here's how little people care about this. Uh, just to, you know, because Twitter is obviously the pulse of, of everything in our lives, right? There have only been maybe 35 tweets about Mark Few in the last five days. Total. I, and so, it's, not, it's, not, it's not like, it, first of all, this is a bona fide, one of the best coaches in the game right now. You could argue he's number two behind Scott Drew at a powerhouse program who just landed the number one recruit in Chet Holmgren. Like everything in terms of the recipe for why this should be talked about a lot is there. So why do we not give a shit? Because uh, c- it's so common. I mean, that's it. it unfor- uh, unfortunately, I'm not saying it's a good thing. Uh, I did find a new account to follow on Twitter and that is Mark Fuse drinking buddy. That's the funniest thing that's come out of this so far, actually, is that this Twitter account, Mark Fuse drinking buddy. But yeah, I mean, really, yeah, there's, there's very f- little discussion about it. Uh, well, and yeah, I'm, because I think when you look at the other things that go on in the world, even with coaches, um, a lot of the wrongdoings are quote unquote intentional. This is maybe 
unintentional, you, you know? And so there's definitely a, there's definitely a huge difference between like intentionally like going behind the scenes and doing something wrong than there is uh, like this. Obviously it's the argument about uh, you should be prepared for these situations is a whole different discussion, but uh, there is a, there, there are a lot worse things you can do, especially if you look at like the intent behind what you're, what you are doing right now, of course, you know, before we move, you know, too far past this, you know, of course, obviously this is a completely different story. If Mark few like gets into an accident or hits someone or whatever. And that's always a disconnect when we talk about like DUI stuff, right? It's like, well, yeah, it's not that big of a deal because nothing happened. Well, yeah, but like something is just as easily could have happened. And that part of it shouldn't be swept under the rug either. Unfortunately, we don't, or excuse me, fortunately, we don't have to have that discussion because nothing did happen. But, um, that I, I think, and that's, I think what you're trying to say a little bit too, is like, yeah, if, if Mark Few hits a pedestrian on the side of the road, he's going to jail for 25 years. So that shouldn't be, uh, you know, necessarily swept under the rug, but, uh, yeah, I guess to tie this all into a bow or a little bit of a bow, nothing bad happened and it was not in, you know, it was 95% likelihood. This was not exactly an intentional situation. Right. So that's why it's not going to be, uh, looked on as that big of a deal by most folks. Yeah. And I don't want to play hypotheticals either. Right. There's no point in that. I think applying that to anything you say, well, if so-and-so played, if so-and-so wasn't hurt, well, he was, he was hurt. This person didn't play. Right. So that's a good point that you make. I just want people to, and I hate using this phrase, but the only thing that's popping into my mind, keep the same energy. Bottom line, I'll tell you this right now. I'd rather my coach play, pay players to get top recruits. And a lot of people will be like, well, obviously you went to Arizona. Fuck you. But I would rather my coach do that than what Mark feuded. That's my bottom line. Taylor, real quick before we move on to a few other topics, does this impact the players kind of looking at Mark Few and saying, how are you going to hold me accountable? How are you going to make me uh, run sprints if, I, if I'm not accountable, blah, blah, blah. Uh, if you're a Chet Holmgren, who probably is already like, look, I don't need to be here. I could, I would have been the number one overall pick in the NBA draft if that was allowed. I could have easily gone to the G League. I don't need Gonzaga. You guys need me to get that ever-elusive title. Do you think there's anything that plays into some of these some of these players? Uh, no, I don't think so. Not very far past the, you know, the initial, um, you know, stages of it. I'm sure Mark Few met with a team. I'm sure he went through the whole deal and. And I hate to bring this into it, even though I kind of alluded to it earlier. Gonzaga is a very, it's a Catholic based school. So I'm sure he could bring that into the play. Be like, Hey, forgiveness. So, you know, so on and so forth. I, I, and I'm not even trying to be funny. I, that's, I, I bet you that's some, at least a small part of this. Um, but in the end, no, because I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal with the players. Um, because again, each one of those players probably knows a friend, an uncle, a dad, an, another one of the coaches in the country, an assistant coach. And at some point down the line, it's not like this is the first time they've ever heard of anything like this happening. So I'm, I'm sure there was probably a tough discussion or two to have with the team kind of up front. Hey, listen, I can't. Yeah, I'm sure he probably phrased it something like that. You know, I can't expect you to be accountable if I'm not accountable to. So what, you know, whatever. So uh, I'm sure those discussions were had and I really don't think it's going to be that big of a deal with the players, uh, especially, um, especially after this year when there's going to be 12 whole new players in there. So. 
love Catholicism. I'm only wondering, knock on wood, if I ever got a DUI, who would forgive me? No one. No one in my immediate family. I feel like my parents would whoop my ass, right? You got a call from this county jail or whatever. My dad would be like, keep his ass in there. Let him, let him do his time. So let's move on now then to some recruiting. Big names committing to big time schools. Let's start with Shaden Sharp going to Kentucky and then Amani Bates. A couple of years ago, Amani Bates, I think out of Ypsilanti, Michigan, committed to Michigan State, withdrew that, that commitment, and now he's down in Memphis with Penny Hardaway and Rasheed Wallace also, by the way. That's that's hilarious. But Amani Bates going to Memphis, Shaden Sharp going to Kentucky Big time hitters, big time news coming out. And actually, Taylor, here's a little nugget for you. And I'm sure you know this. I don't know if the theater goers know this. First number one recruit for Kentucky since. Can you guess? Nerlens Noel. Nerlens Noel. Do you know, remember when that was? What year that was? Um, I'm trying to think of Nerlens Noel contract situation. He fumbled the bag <laughs> like four years ago in the NBA. So probably that was like, Rich Paul's fault, man. That was yeah, all Rich Paul's fault. Probably like 2014, 13, somewhere in there. Very close. 2012, which uh, by the way, it being a decade ago, basically a decade ago. Fuck. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. Actually, here's another thing. You want to you feel old? I saw a mixtape of fucking TJ Ford Jr. Hmm. Yeah. Well, well, that's like with everybody in the NFL and, and, and college football this year is all a junior of people that we grew up watching. Yeah. So Nerlens Noel's high, like flat top is over 10 years old. That's over 10 years old. That's wild. Does he still have a flat top? I think so. Not sure. I haven't seen Nerlens Noel in, I don't remember. Is he still on the Knicks? I don't remember. Is he on the he Knicks? He just got paid. He, he just got paid, actually. Yeah, he did. I, or he, yeah. he is. Yeah, he's got paid. But continue on. Well, actually, here's another trivia question. Do you remember how that Nerlens Noel Kentucky team and their season ended? It wasn't good, right? Was that the Wichita team it was it was no they beat wichita state actually because uh, okay. they were the hc that was the harrison twins i think oh, no. oh, oh, oh okay the, here, that, well, here's here's or go ahead i was gonna say that season ended the Nerlens noel season ended with an nit first round loss in moon township i believe against robert morris uh they lost to robert morris in the nit first round but i think Nerlens noel went down midway through well, that season in in florida didn't alex poitras go down then he tears ACL twice in college wasn't that one of those years too Kentucky had a very brutal injury year not, injury I don't know if it was torn ACL but Alex Poitras who could have like it was one of those situations that like if he was a projected first round pick then he came back and like blew out both of his knees and ended up staying there for like four years yeah I mean there was really no difference between that year and what Kentucky endured last year with the exception of obviously a pandemic and the team just wasn't very good I don't think they suffered as many injuries as they did the year Nerlens went down in Florida and then of course they lost to Robert Morris but uh focusing back on these two big time recruits Kentucky uh who do you think has or will have the bigger impact on their team. Are we looking at Sharp at Kentucky or are we looking at Bates in Memphis? Well, are you saying who's going to be the best player or who's going to have a bigger impact on their team? Because bigger impact, bigger Imani, impact. Monty Bates is going to have a bigger impact on his team at Memphis because Kentucky already has, you know, already has another five-star guy that's committed. I'm sure now that you look at it just like every Kentucky class that's absurd. Once they get one five star and then two five star and then three five star, it just kind of tumbles or, you know, domino effect, I guess I should say. But here's how good Shade and Sharp is. Okay. 
we just talked about Nerlens Noel. Obviously, they've had you know number one recruits or top recruits like Anthony Davis and John Wall, Demarcus Cousins, all those type of guys. Shade on two four seven, twenty four seven. However you want to phrase that, their sports they have rankings out of like a hundred or a thousand, however you want to phrase it. Like 0.998 is like generally the number one or, you know, recruit in the country. Shaden Sharp is a 1.0. That means he's a 100%, which baffles me. Cause that means like, does he, did, has he never missed a shot before? Like how are you, how are you a 100%? So that puts it's, him, it's as, like a hundred in NBA 2k or something or Madden, yeah. right? Oh, right. Exactly. So this guy scores like 85 points a game on 12 shots. Yeah, whatever. But uh, so that's the highest ranked, recruit Kentucky's ever had in terms of his actual grade. Now that's, that's saying something that's, that's wild to me. So um, shade and sharp, I guess if you're just looking at what those, that those particular experts say will probably be the better player, but Amani Bates uh, will have a much bigger impact. I think in terms of, uh, you know, his usage rate, things of that nature. And then also to kind of, uh, uh, you know, continue the point that Memphis is here to stay as a big basketball school, um, not that they were necessarily going anywhere, but when you're pulling people like Amani Bates, that just you're further perpetuating the point that like Penny's here to stay and he's going to recruit his ass off over and over again. I think I tend to agree with you. I think I'm more excited though, and I didn't really necessarily ask you this question. I'm more excited to see Amani Bates. I think because Memphis is just thirsting for someone to resurrect their program to an elite eight type of program a second weekend type of program and penny penny can do only do so much he can bring guys in he brought in james wiseman who i think only played three games or so uh, he he brings in all, all of these other guys boogie ellis who has since transferred he brings in a, a, a few others that i think have left the program since then and now they're just reloading and i think that's what that's that's the blueprint for Memphis. It's not necessarily developing guys three, four years down the line. It's let me go ahead and get these big time names because they need to get to the tournament. And that's that's number one priority for Penny upcoming this season. John Calipari, I mean, obviously last year, a lot of people will say, well, he has that one year because of high expectations at Kentucky. He's got to deliver again. He brought them a national title. He's been to multiple final fours. John Calipari literally has a lifetime contract. Penny Hardaway, on the other hand, he has the the love and the heart of Memphis for what he's done growing up. He still needs to show himself and prove himself as a coach. So I think Amani Bates, I'm most excited to see him and what he can bring to this Memphis team because if he's, you know, and again, knock on wood, this is nothing on Amani, but if he's healthy, if he's eligible, Memphis will be a second a, a second weekend team, I do believe. Because he's going toe to toe with Chet, Chet Hol- Holmgren, I remember that um, they had a they had a, a, a matchup earlier this year, and Chet, by all accounts, is is the best player in the, in the country. Uh, just as a freshman, he's going to be the number one overall pick most likely the following year. But Amani Bates and what he can inject into Memphis is going to be very very fun to watch. And I know you had mentioned Shaden Sharp and basically his composite score and out of all the un- unreal recruits Kentucky has, he's been the best. I feel like I'm a little desensitized to it at this point. I'm a little numb, which is, I mean, that's nothing against Sharp, but I'm probably going to see something similar the following year. And I think even last year, I was like, well, these guys have a bunch of five stars and they sucked. Devin Askew now at Texas, a lot of them transferred out. Um, but I think I'm most excited to see Imani Bates uh, step onto campus and see what he does there for Memphis. 
it's important to clarify too, and I should have done this earlier that that Amani Bates was a class of 2022 person. He reclassified, and he will be in college this year. Shaden Sharp is a class of 2022. Uh, kid so he we won't see him in college until next year it's also important to point out that chet holmgren also has a 1.0 uh, composite score or ranking as well um and obviously he's going to kentucky now amani bates was previously the number one kid in the class of 2022 but he's now the fourth ranked uh kid in the class of 2021 at in this coming from me, and you're going to be shocked when I say this, you know, it doesn't really matter because I'm a much bigger recruiting person than you are. You, you don't give a, sh- you don't give a shit what these guys are ranked at generally. Yeah. You, you pretty much just say, Hey, Correct. come in and get a bucket. I don't give a shit what you were ranked. Right. So, um, but it is important to point out. Yeah. So uh, Shaden Sharp is next year, unless I know that he had previously been talked about as a, as a reclassification person as well. Uh, given the fact that it's September 15th, it's not happening now school has started so um yeah i am very excited to see uh yeah chet holmgren obviously um and imani bates i think too going back to one of your previous points i think one of the reasons i'm excited to see imani bates is that of all these recruits we've heard about him i think the longest uh he made a lot of waves three years ago as a as a freshman because he was like lanky as shit uh and like seven feet or six foot nine as like a freshman look i think people you know started calling him the next kevin durant when he was like 14 years old you know now that is that gonna end up happening who knows and then another reason that he, it was such a big story is because he committed to hometown michigan state well, home state michigan state um early and that that never never fails to fail i guess would be the first uh way to put it when those uh, top level recruits no matter who they commit to when they're like 14 years old it almost seems like they never that never sticks no matter what, even if it's your hometown team. So that's why I'm excited to see Monty Bates though, is is because we've heard about him for so long, uh, longer than most of these guys. And uh, yeah, and, and he's going to kind of have the ball rolled out, rolled out to him in a way to kind of carry an entire, uh, an entire team. Whereas like you said about shade and sharp in Kentucky, if, if I were to tell Joe down the street that Kentucky got the number one group in the country, they'd be like, okay. So just like, just like every other year. Right. So you're right. It, we are a little desensitized to Kentucky recruiting at this point. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned uh, the difference in terms of when these guys are actually going to be playing. Cause I did that. A lot of the theater goers are probably going to be like, well, yeah, no shit. You're more excited to see about uh, um, Amani Bates next year. But I, you know, point standing Monty Bates next year versus Shaden in two years, whatever you want to call it. Uh, I am very excited to see the Bates era there in Memphis and excited to see what, what Penny and, and she do with him. Did you know that there's a little bit of a beef on Twitter between Kentucky and Memphis guys? So let me give you a little bit of context here. Yeah. And obviously look, there's the Calipari effect. Fine, fine, fine. We know that, but I didn't think that there was actual beef between the two, the two schools. So our chief, our guy, the barn chief hops on Twitter. Cause I think Kentucky fans were celebrating shade and sharp. And, and so he, I don't know. I think he's basically just saying like, Hey, we want to play you guys. Kentucky Memphis would be a lot of fun. Or, and then in addition to that, it's, I think what the Memphis guys are saying is you guys called us out for getting, going crazy over Imani Bates because, Oh, we don't have a tournament berth in I don't know, however long. But you guys get to two-step over Shaden Sharp, right? So 
I didn't know that there was a, a Twitter beef there between Kentucky and Memphis guys. If you were to side with one, I think I'm on the Memphis side just because they're underdogs. But look, if, if I'm Kentucky, you know, I'm, it's you can't you can't go so far as to say, oh well, Cal only has one title because he has a bunch of Final Fours, which I've said is pretty much the barometer. Because once you get to the Final Four, who the hell knows what's going to happen? Well, because we are a, a uh, Memphis-based podcast, I will I will side with the Memphis guys here. Um, if if I have to choose a side here, I, I guess you know. Um, yeah, I, there's. I will say, I think kind of like what you just said. There's, there's really kind of hard to hate on John Calipari, it, though that is a a funny part about that little beef there because obviously Calipari is known best for coaching Memphis and Kentucky. So uh, I I think I would have to ask, you know, our our born and bred Memphis folks uh, that run this podcast or run this uh, station, you know, to really, to really give us the ins and outs of how they feel about this situation. Look, if you want my opinion, I'd tell them both to shut the hell up. They're just recruits. You know, like you see, yeah. like you had mentioned, I'd be like, look, pipe down, simmer down. Give me a guy like Luca Garza. Okay. Well, give me Garza who loses in the first round. And but I, you know what I mean? I hate to say it too. And hopefully this doesn't jinx anything. Uh, the last time Memphis got all fired up about the number one recruit, he played like six games in a Memphis Jersey or however many it was. And uh, the biggest story of his Memphis career was uh, pretty much him uh, getting a police escort from the courthouse or what, you know, whatever the, the uh, not cease and desist, but the injunction or whatever you want to phrase, however you want to phrase that. Had, that was a big word during that Wiseman thing. I forgot right. about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So that was like the most notable thing of his Memphis career. So let's hope Imani Bates career is a little more noteworthy on the court than uh, James Wiseman was. Yeah. I'm with you. All right. Let's move on to another bit of news here. Conference realignment, some big names, shifting so we know texas oklahoma are going to be going to the sec byu cincinnati houston and ucf will be moving to the big 12 which i think are great moves for those guys uh houston and ucf you could argue is the aac a power conference are they not i think they are but houston and ucf where that 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 move to the big 12 probably buys them a few more losses in terms of getting to the tournament i don't think that matters for houston they're on the heels of a final four berth uh kelvin sampson does a terrific job with them and i think they're going to be players moving moving forward i don't think houston was just a flash in the pan the type of program where they built two to three years of really good basketball and now they're going to bottom out i think houston is here to stay uh, UCF, Cincy, and BYU. We can agree out of those four, Houston's the best team. Who do you think is going to have the toughest adjustment to Big 12 basketball where you're playing guys like Oklahoma, you're playing OK State, you're playing Kansas, you know, you're playing West Virginia. Who are some of the teams out of those four, BYU, Cincy, and, and excuse me, I should say three, BYU, Cincy, UCF. Who do you think is going to have the toughest adjustment? Got it. Just as let me just say that as if you were just like a layman college basketball fan or just college sports fan, the next two years, it's just going to be confusing as fuck for you to try to figure out who's in what conference and who's partnered with who. It's confusing enough for us. And we watch and read about this all day, every day. Well, they're only going to have to deal with Oklahoma for like two years because then Oklahoma's going to fucking leave. Yeah. So. Whatever. I think the biggest adjustment is going to be for BYU, though, because BYU is generally regarded as a pretty good basketball school. And they are competitive. And they are generally a tournament team. Uh, they 
the only good team they play every year is like SDSU though, you know, or maybe like if Colorado state is good or, or whatever. Um, so I think BYU having to play um, a high level D one uh, school every single night, uh, game in and game out is going to be a really tough adjustment uh, for them. I think Cincinnati's kind of known to be really gritty. And so I think that even though Cronin's gone, I think that kind of will stay. And I think that travels a little more than maybe BYU's brand of basketball. UCF basketball, who cares? Uh, is Taco Fall still there? It's still there? You know, like, no, I nobody, nobody cares about UCF basketball. Um, this is a college basketball podcast, obviously. So I won't touch into football too much. I think some of the alignment for football makes absolutely no sense at all. And I really don't understand why teams like Oklahoma and Texas feel like they need to get going to a different conference. Texas is already the most, uh, they're the highest valued athletic department in the country. I I'm not sure why, how moving to the sec for any sport makes their life better. I I'm not sure why they would want to do that personally. Um, I guess the other question that I'm going to have, because I think you and I kind of feel similarly about this. Um, I don't really give a shit about the PAC 12. I mean, I do just because we're in it as Arizona fans. Um, But like if Arizona was the only team to make the tournament from the PAC 12, I wouldn't care at all about that. SEC fans are completely different from that, right? They're, they chant SEC. Like they don't, sometimes they don't even chant their own team's name. They chant the conference that they're in. So for me, I guess the question or, you know, maybe just a a writing prompt for you here is, do you think at some point with all of this uh, convolution of different conferences trying to get together and then other conferences partnering with other conferences, do you think like conferences are even going to matter at some point? Because when you have conferences that are like 20 teams big, what what does it matter at that point? That's like a quarter of the important schools in the country in essentially one conference. Yeah, I feel like we might just divvy it up between power schools and non-power schools, which is almost what we do at this point. But within the power schools, you have those different conferences. So I kind of see what you're saying there. Now, to your point about not caring about the conference, I would be a liar. I would be remiss if I, if I didn't say, you know, I did care about that especially last year during the tournament when the Pac-12 had an unbelievable tournament. USC went to the Elite Eight. They got rings for that, by the way. That's how you know you're an unserious basketball program. You can't be giving out rings for the fucking Elite Eight. I mean, unless you can acknowledge, like, look, we are not a strong basketball school, historically speaking. But whatever. USC went to the Elite Eight, routing Kansas uh, doing in, in the process. Obviously, UCLA had an unbelievable run. Uh, Oregon State knocking off a lot of good teams going to the elite eight. So I would be remiss if I didn't say that I was very proud. And I was chanting from the deepest parts of my lungs, go pack 12, right? I was pumped for that shit. But, you know, to your point, I, I think, I think conferences are still going to matter here in at least the short term. It is going to be difficult to keep track of which team and which school uh, represents what conference, especially in a couple of years. But these four teams are interesting to me because like we had said, I think Houston is going to be just fine. They've, they've held their own against really good teams in the tournament in the past. Cincinnati, you think about them historically, and you think about how they've played in the, the big East, how they've played in, in, uh, you know, gritty arenas, like you had mentioned, Mick Crone and blah, blah, blah. But we got to remember they have, they have West Miller now. West Miller's never played in a big time conference. Uh, and so 
he's he's got to be going from okay here's a little bit of tune-up in the aac now you're on to the big 12 my man so it's going to be a quick turnaround for west miller and then you got like you had mentioned byu uh another young head coach i i'm blanking on his name but he's i think this is his second or third year at byu and then ucf i'm i'm very worried about UCF because they don't recruit very well whatsoever in the state of Florida. And now they're going to be going up against higher top end competition. They don't do, they don't perform very well uh, in, in their conference. You know, they're going up against the AAC. They're going to go be going up against very good teams in the big 12. So very, very worried about them. I think Houston, they're going to be incredibly well adjusted, but the other three kind of a toss up, including Cincinnati. Well, and not, Yes, completely. But I guess just to since we've already talked about this uh, program for 20 minutes on this show, what's the best basketball program in the country right now? Uh, Baylor. I, is it? You think it's yeah. the best? Baylor's the best basketball program in the whole country right now because they won a national championship. Two straight years, they were the best team in the country, okay. in my opinion. Villanova, though. Villanova. Okay, I would say Gonzaga is where I'm going with this. Is fuck that, dude. What a national title. But okay, fine. Yeah, okay. They've been easily the most consistent basketball program in the country for 25 years. And probably and by your own words and last year's show at like the the top recruit the top basketball school in the country. I'm going to give it to Villanova and Baylor, but for the sake of your argument, fine. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's but the whole point is that that's why conferences really are starting to trend towards not mattering as much, right? Because they literally play nobody all year long and are still considered to be a top 3, I guess, basketball program. There you top, go. top 5 really cuz, you know, Duke, Kentucky are obviously going to be higher than them. But yeah, they they you do not have to be in a conference to uh be a great basketball school. Is is kind of the point. Football, obviously different discussion, but so that's why I think a lot of this is much ado about, I don't want to say about nothing because that's not the way to put it. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure those fans, that's another interesting part of this. I'm sure those fans of those schools are fired up though about this because they're, oh, they now, should be right. Yeah. Yeah. But I think people who are just over umbrella overarching college basketball fans are kind of like, oh, okay, so great. You're in another new conference. Be, you know, and especially people who are coming from the AAC, that shit wasn't a conference five years ago either. <laughs> so it's kind of hard to say like, oh, this is a big deal when every five years we have like a new conference and these same schools are moving around between them. Well, so that's why I have a bone to pick with you. It is much ado about something because I need to be able to categorize and see where these teams are playing. If it's changing every five years, man, I, I lose track and my credibility just goes out the window. Dude. People are still calling it the Pac-10. I mean, it, it took, it takes like, a long time to get the vernacular down, to get the names down, to get the teams in the proper conferences. It's all just a clusterfuck. And you used to be able to rely on geography, right? Okay. If I use deductive reasoning, this team is BYU is not in the big 12 States. Like what the hell am I supposed to do with that? So, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's something to me because I gotta, I gotta, Think about where these schools are going to be playing. But well, I will say to your point about football, man, Cincinnati going to the Big 12, if Luke Fickle sticks around, that'll be a lot easier for them to get to the college football playoff than it currently is. So I, I'll say this is a little bit of a traditionalist as well. I think that's what annoys me about all of these discussions is I want my Pacific schools in, in the Pacific. I want my Midwest schools in the Big 10 and Big 12. I want my Southeast Conference in the Southwest or Southeast. I, I want my biggest to be the biggest to be in the Big East or in the East. I don't want fucking Texas to be in the South and Utah to be in the 
East. It, I, to me, I'm like, let's just keep the things. I guess is am I almost like to a get off my lawn type of statement here? Like I remember back when it was the Pac-10, and we all and we knew where the geography of those conferences were. Well, I think the South, the SEC does the best job, but now we got Texas coming in. They literally have a concert in Austin called South by Southwest. It's not the Southeast. That's what's the most maddening part about it. But conference realignment, get your pens and pencils. Texas, total Texas move for them to try and just claim every single part of the country as as part of their own. You know, like, oh, yeah, we've got great Western food as well as the fact that we're in the deep South. Like, no, you can't have all of this, okay? Yeah, Mexican food, too. They don't even just claim everything domestically. Tex-Mex. It's like, well, we have some of the best Mexican food, too. It's, it's absurd, but you know what? More credit to them. A lot of conference realignment. We'll cross that bridge when we arrive uh, at it. Just enjoy just, the teams where they're at now. It's just a lot of gall from the second largest state in the country. You know, that's uh, what I was nice little dig there. Nice little dig. All right. A couple of the last uh, quick hitters here. Did you see Marcus Camby's statue at UMass? We talked about that. We waxed poetic about how absurd it was we, that UMass was putting a statue of Marcus Camby. And I think shark was a little perturbed, disturbed really that that's, that's the level of play. I suppose that gets you a statue. And I said, look, I'm cool with it. UMass doesn't have a lot. Let them have Marcus Camby, but they completely botched the statue. Dude. Did you see his face? Yes. Um, I don't even know how to, how to appropriately describe this. I, I would say, if Kevin Garnett stood next to that statue, he would make an extremely inappropriate joke about how that person looked. Let's just put it that way. I mean, big time Cristiano Ronaldo vibes. I was actually at a bar in Cleveland when I was there for the Sox series. And, we, and somehow we got on that topic of the Cristiano Ronaldo uh, sculpture or, or statue and how ridiculous his face looked and how it just didn't look anything like Cristiano Ronaldo. And we were sitting there thinking like, imagine being that sculptor, whoever put it together, whoever made it, imagine being that like, you're, you're so close in to the finite details. You're so, you're literally physically so close to it. You take a step back and you're like, wow, this looks just like him. And 95% of the country is just like, what is this garbage? And you're now you're getting made fun of by three fat guys in Cleveland. Like, I, I can't imagine the Marcus Camby sculptor just taking a step back and now everyone's shitting on it. Well, here's the thing. I, there's more to it than just the fact that it looks bad. It doesn't make sense for seven foot Marcus Camby to be dribbling the ball in this situation. Like that doesn't make any sense either. I, I, I don't, I don't understand that. I think, uh, did you see uh, Dr. J's statue as well? No, I didn't. If you told me that that statue was a Cheryl Miller, I would have I would have believed you. I think so. I'm going to put blame on UMass for whatever the statues are doing, right? I have a feeling they were probably like, well, Marcus Camby was a basketball player. Just have him dribble, not knowing that there are different positions, right? <laughs> Do have him have him dunking. Literally, he was like Shaquille O'Neal and like that. That Shaq statue outside Staples have Marcus Camby doing that shit. To use a phrase that I think the kids are using nowadays, I think the sculptor did not understand the assignment when it came to uh, came to these statues. Now I will say, like the Calipari statue is not nearly as bad as the other ones. How do you fi- how do you mess that up? I I I don't know. I'm not just physically saying. not physically, but like doing something. I know. I, that's what I'm trying. To, I, if I do an image search of Marcus Camby, 
I'll do that right now. I'm going to do an image search of Marcus Canby. I bet you there's not going to be a single one of him dribbling, right? I mean, that doesn't make any sense at all. I can't remember Marcus Canby dribbling very often. Actually, one of my favorite gifts, which I think is pretty apt in this setting, is when he's on the Rockets and he's just like, He's pointing, he's pointing for someone to get the hell out of there. He's got his thumb up. It's like, it's almost like a hitchhiker. He's like, get out of there. That's my, I mean, I feel like Marcus Camby doesn't even approve of this. He should tell him, go back to the drawing board. Uh, so I'm not sure. I definitely found the picture that they, maybe I'll have you tweet this out. I definitely found the picture of the, that the sculptor used. It's Marcus Camby dribbling uh, against Tim Duncan. And they just cut Tim Duncan out, but it's definitely the the picture that they they used for for this. Um, it's probably the only it's the only picture on the entire front page of the Google image search of Marcus Canby, like even with a ball in his hands. You know, every other one is him going up for like a shot block or something like that. See, I don't know if they misunderstood the assignment. I think they just half-assed it. They were like, okay, here's Marcus Canby in front of dribbling against Tim Duncan. Put, put that together in, in bronze or whatever the hell it is. So Marcus Camby, statue at UMass. I'll have to check out the Dr. J and Calipari ones. Uh, last but not least, though, before we get out of here, Taylor, our guy John Rothstein. He got married this offseason. I can't believe there's someone who who's down to marry that lunatic. But yeah, I think he split time between basketball and his honeymoon in Santa Barbara. Like, he was like, honey, I got to go cast Joe Pasternak and, and the Gauchos practice. That, uh, did he ha- did he have his reception or something at like Bar Coastal? Yep. After party was at Bar Coastal, which is very on brand for him. It actually looked like a pretty sweet setup. I think that was like the, the, the least crazy thing that he did. You know, when he gets inducted into the Naismith Hall of Fame for, or whatever they do for uh, reporters, he's definitely going to have to be the one that thanks his significant other because I feel like not that we have a hard time convincing our significant others that like we should, that like this podcast is an extremely important thing that we do with our lives. Right. It's almost like it's only like a once or twice a week thing though. Like Rothstein doesn't sleep at all. I don't think he sleeps at all. And all he does is just talk about basketball. Like, what do you think, how does the first date even go with John Rothstein? When like, how do you even get to the point where you get to the marriage part? Can he just compartmentalize that part of his life so so deeply that it's is it like dealing with two different people? No way. There's no way he compartmentalizes, dude. Like you know how we bend over backwards to shoehorn some sort of theater reference into every episode. I guarantee he can play like three degrees of separation between how was your day. Or did you see what happened on Bravo to like Mateen Cleaves? I, I guarantee he's able to make and tick and tie those, those different topics. So no, I don't think he's able to compartmentalize. I think all roads, they don't lead to Rome. They lead to like the, the, the Lahaina center. They all, they lead to college basketball for John Rothstein, all conversational roads. Well, or bar coastal is where they, is, is where they lead to. I think actually, so. that's right. That's right. Well, but good, good on John Rothstein, um, married man. We'll see if that impacts him this upcoming season. I don't think it will, but something to monitor. That's actually directly out of his quotes. Something to monitor here. What has he come up with a nickname for his wife on Twitter yet? No, I, I doubt he discloses like who his wife is. Deep invested. What does he say? Deep, uh, deep deeply entrenched moles. Entrenched moles in yeah. my in my in laws' family. 
Yeah. yeah, I'm sure he's. I'm sure he's work workshopping something. He's only got 54 days, like we had said, 54 days until tip. Taylor, let's go ahead and get out of here on hugs. Got anything? Yes, I was going to give my hug to Sister Jean, who's turned 102 earlier this this month. But I am going to give my actual hug to Mark Vital, and I'm giving my hug to him because big just, boy grilling on the roof. Because he just signed, got signed to the practice squad for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yes, a football team. Uh, continuing the long trend of six foot five power forwards that end up uh, signing as tight ends in the NFL. Um, we could go on about uh, many of them. One of our favorites, who we talked about on a previous episode, named Fendi Onabun, uh, a U of A guy. Um, but of course, there's Antonio Gates. Did you know Antonio Gates played basketball? Uh, no, he kind of reminds me of Tony Gonzalez, though. Uh, if Tony Gonzalez were to play basketball, you know, I was played basketball. No, just kidding. Uh, yes, this seems to be a very common thing, uh, or not very common thing. I shouldn't say this, but something that there's always a number of these people in the NFL, but big hug for him though, to be the next one in the long line of these guys. Cause you know, he was never going to be a professional basketball player given his size, but pretty awesome that he's able to continue his professional at athletics career even if it's just a practice squad pretty cool to be able to say hey i was an nfl player and i won a national championship in in basketball almost like kenny lofton who is a you know one of the best outfielders of all time but also played in a final four too well you mentioned a long line of those football players turned or excuse me basketball players turned tight ends uh also jimmy graham if if he played basketball that would have been sweet to see at miami um it's not that long, but a shorter list, at least Baylor has a list of basketball players turned NFL tight ends. Rico Gathers played tight end for, for the Dallas Cowboys. So Scott Drew, man, <laughs> you know, that's actually kind of a funny recruiting tactic. If he's recruiting like undersized beefy guys who can play ball and Mark Vital was really good in the final four and the entire tournament, he was very good. Let's not get it twisted here. He's not NBA good, but he was a perfect guy you want on your college basketball team. But if you're going into living rooms, you could kind of also be like, Hey, if basketball doesn't work out for you, my man, I got Rico gathers under my name. I got Mark vital under my name. There might be another path professionally. I feel like there's like 10 former Baylor players that probably could have played in the NFL if they, if they really would have pursued it. I didn't, yeah. we do, didn't we do that like two off seasons ago? Pick uh, player. We had, to, we had good friend of the program CJ on. Yeah. He, he, he helped us out with that. Cause he's a college football guy. Right. Right. Yeah. Maybe we need to, we need to amend our list to put Mark vital on there now. Cause he's actually done it. Now he's, this isn't just a hypothetical. Like he's actually done it. Yeah, absolutely. My hug is going to be for Chris Weber. So this has been a decades-long rivalry, I guess, fight, whatever, between University of Michigan and the Fab Five, specifically C-Web. So C-Web goes into the Hall of Fame last week, and just when it seemed as if the University of Michigan and Chris Weber had taken a step toward reconciliation, the Michigan AD Ward Manual denied the former Fab Five members claim that Manuel had apologized to Weber. So for context, C-Web basically came out and said, hey, Michigan AD who got hired in 2016, he apologized to me for basically how I've been treated. Weber, uh, like we had mentioned, Hall of Famer, he recently told ESPN that. Um, but on Friday, after C-Web said that this guy apologized to him, Ward Manuel came out and he said, oh, that's not true, by the way. 
I enjoyed the conversation with Chris when we met several years ago, Manuel said in a statement through the school, but I can assure you I made no apology to Chris. And for those who may be curious, I never asked him to apologize to Michigan. I wish Chris nothing but the best, and I'm happy that he's being inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. I don't understand how you can just, like, this is the most petty shit of all time for or towards guys that that made University of Michigan basketball. There is no Michigan basketball. There's not a lot of things actually without the Fab Five, but as it pertains specifically to that school in Ann Arbor, you owe your life to Jalen Rose, Jawan Howard, Jimmy King, to Chris Weber. I'm, I'm missing the, the fifth guy off the top of my head, but it is just so petty. And you know what? Maybe Ward Manuel was asked specifically about the comments that C-Web made, basically saying, hey, can you confirm that you apologize to Chris Weber? It just comes off as so bad. It's just like, oh, by the way, no, uh, we didn't apologize to Chris Weber. He's still in our bad graces. So I just, uh, the whole situation is weird. Jimmy King is who you're uh, forgetting. I thought I got Jimmy King. Oh, did you? I think I got got Jimmy King. Uh, I'm missing someone else, though. Yeah, Juwan Howard. Yeah, whatever. Um, Yeah, this is a classic situation of, like, you don't have to comment on everything, right? Like, just just say, yeah, happy. He could have just did the second part of his statement and just said, Excited for Chris to make the go to the Hall of Fame. He didn't have to confirm or deny anything, you know, just kind of go Bill Belichick. Yeah, good basketball player for University of Michigan. Happy he's going to the Hall of Fame. And and then you could just be done with it. It's also so weird because this guy wasn't even involved during this time period, right? He got hired in 2016. Like what I what 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 does that what do what do you gain? from coming out and explicitly saying I did not apologize to Chris Weber. Like are there are there are there sections of of Michigan fans that are like screw Chris Weber, screw the Fab 5. Like there I'm trying be. to think there can't be, right? Like so who are you appealing to by saying that? We need to apologize for Ray Jackson for forgetting his name twice now. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh yeah, I just thought is there like a deep-seated like person in Schembechler Hall who just hates every like part of Michigan history and he just keeps there's these, these behind the scenes people just hate all the athletes that ended up essentially creating their program I I don't know I, it's a very that's a very good point because I don't I don't know any Michigan fans that are like you know what I really hated those years that we went to the final four every year you know it was just really sucked so weird so weird well I don't want to end the program on hate I want to say Love. Love you guys. Thank you for listening to uh, to Theater and College Hoops. We'll catch you next week. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh, yeah, shit. I get my weed from California. That's that shit. I took my chick up to the north, yeah. Badass bitch. I get my light right from the source, yeah. Yeah, that's it. And I see you. Your skin. I wanna wrap my arms around you, baby, never let you go. Oh. And I say, oh, it's nothing like your touch. It's the way you lift me up. Yeah, and I'll be right here with you till the end. I got my peaches out in Georgia. Oh, yeah, shit. I get my weed from California. That's that shit. I took my chick up to the north, yeah. Badass bitch. I get my light right from the source, yeah. Yeah, that's it. You ain't sure, yeah. Alone that we miss more And days we save as souvenirs
more time I give you my whole life I left my girl, I'm in my Yorker Hate to leave a college torture Yeah, yeah, that's- 